0: I read this week, it's kind of bad news, it's kind of sad. How many people are like superhero fans, like you read comics and stuff when you were a kid? Nobody, oh, okay, this won't be that, oh, a few, all right. This won't be that bad of news then for most. This was a bad week for the caped crusaders. After uh, Scottish police, where are you, there you are. We have we have our, our uh, token Scott over here for now. Um, so you might be able to tell us, you know, If this is true, you weren't there this last week, so never mind. Scottish police pulled over a drunken driver and recognized him instantly by his clothing as Batman. The fictional Feimkraten vigilante slumped in the passenger seat next to him was a visibly intoxicated Superman. That's messed up. That's just wrong. I mean, what happened to our heroes? Now, granted, I don't think this is the real Batman and Superman, so you can rest, rest easy there, but the world needs, the world needs heroes. It needs heroes with integrity. I think, especially in these days, the world needs men and women who can turn the world upside down and who won't let you down. God is looking for those kind of people. Not just we're looking for those kind of people. God is looking for those kind of people. And you know what else? We learned last week. The crazy thing is that God is able to make those kind of people out of people like you. World shakers. Heroes. You guys remember last week we talked about evangelism? Guess what? This week, talking about evangelism. It's not my idea. But it's not surprising to me as we look through the book of Thessalonians. What's the main theme for Thessalonians, those of you who have been with us? He shall return. It's no surprise to me that in light of the main message, he's going to return, that evangelism would be so highly pushed in the book of Thessalonians. See, time is of the essence. So the question is, how can we impact our world, Christians? How can we impact our world and save as many people as possible from our evil foe? There's no better people to learn this from. How to have an effective, world-shaking ministry than, well, the dynamic duo. Paul and Silas. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is when Paul and Silas make their entrance into this town called Thessalonica. That's that's where this whole book is, this, this letter is written to the Thessalonians, the Christians in Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas appear on the scene in Thessalonica, fresh off of a beating. A beating from Philippi. They, they, they were in Philippi, they, got, uh, they, they saved a, a little girl from being demon-possessed and their reward was to be thrown in jail, to be beaten with rods. So they're probably walking in, limping, fresh off this beating from Philippi when we come to Acts chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to, there it is, Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating what the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. See, they walk in with the stripes on their back and they say, oh, by the way, Jesus suffered, too. And they have this huge impact, but keep keep reading verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, oh, look at this. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Did you catch that? Paul and Silas were... Heroes. They were legendary. They come to Thessalonica and these guys are like, oh, what are we going to do? These guys who keep turning the world upside down, now they're here in our midst. They're our problem. These guys were legendary. First Thessalonians, chapter 2, now you can turn back. The verses we're going to be looking at, verses 1 through 12, are, if you will, the memoirs of a world shaker. This is Paul saying, hey guys, remember how it was when I, came, when I walked into Thessalonica? Remember how things were? This guy is known as a world shaker. And this is his remembrance. These are his memoirs. <clears throat> See, the, the Lord is looking for world changers. He's looking to find some world chang- changers. He's looking to make world changers. You guys want to change your world? These guys were known for changing the world right side up. right? These guys said it was upside down, but that's because their perspective was upside down. These guys were... There to make the world right side up. That's my prayer for you and for me. If you want to, we're going to learn from Paul's memoirs how to be an effective world shaker, world changer. Here in Paul's reminiscing, you're going to find three things. In verses 1 and 2, you're going to find that Paul's ministry was powerful. And then the rest of the chapter, you're going to see that it was powerful for two reasons. Because Paul's motives were pure and his methods were were parental. huh? We'll get to that in a bit. First, Paul's ministry was not empty, it was powerful. Look at 1 Thessalonians now, chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, in his memoirs to the Thessalonians says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Paul says, My ministry was not in vain. The word in vain there means empty, without purpose, without power. No, Paul says, You guys know that when I came into Thessalonica, that was not a waste of time. These guys, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they got results. They got results. And I believe that God in these last days wants to, every Christian, every person in this room, he wants you to get results. We talked about that last week. Why is it we're scared of evangelizing? Probably because we haven't had that much Experience and therefore success. God wants you to get results. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to taste this success in evangelism and in discipling. Right? You understand evangelism is bringing someone into the kingdom. Discipling is helping them to grow in that. We've mentioned this before too. Each one of you guys has your own flock. Right? When you read, you read these verses. You could look at it as like, oh yeah, that's for pastors and stuff. No. Each one of you guys has your own flock, your sphere of influence, people that you affect. So you have an opportunity today to look at this and say, how can I begin to turn my world right side up? And some of you are like, my world needs turning right side up. The first thing you're going to need if you want to impact your world, if you want to be a world shaker, is courage. Look at verse 2. Paul says, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So you guys remember the scene in Acts 17. We just read it. Paul Paul walks in. Paul and Silas, they come on the scene. No doubt they're walking gingerly. They're nursing wounds that they've received on their backs in this previous city, Philippi. Paul says, you guys know the condition we came into town. He says... We had suffered before and we were spitefully treated. The word spitefully there is hubriso. It's the same place where we get hubris. It means an outrageous disregard for another. Paul says we were treated insanely cruel at this place called Philippi. We were beaten with rods. We were jailed. If you remember, they were once they found out that they were Roman citizens, they were asked to leave quietly. Paul says that we were treated outrageously. We were hurting when we walked in. And yet... As we limped into Thessalonica, verse 2 again, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. The word bold there means openly, frankly, without concealment. In other words, pulling no punches. Without ambiguity, there's a word, or circumlocution, there's another word. These guys basically came in and said, this is the way it is. And Look at the word conflict there it 's interesting. The word is agone the way, place we get agony, and it actually talks about it's a sports term. it talks about a, an arena it's a it's a competition it's a striving that's in this arena for us it it brings the idea of a struggle, right You even hear the agony of defeat Paul says. Look, you guys know our message was not in vain. It wasn't just mere words because when we walked into the arena of Thessalonica with our our backs already bruised and battered, we didn't beat around the bush. They walked in like like this thing like, "You guys are sinners. You need Jesus." That's that's how blunt, how bold they were. They they've got a beating already. How do you get that kind of courage? How do you have that kind of powerful ministry? Specifically, how can we turn our world upside down through evangelism, through discipleship? Well, the rest of Paul's memoirs will show us how. He's going to share two critical ingredients to their ministry. Ready for those? Motivation. What was their motivation? And what was their method? Verses 3 and 4, you're going to see. Matter of fact, uh, verses 1 and 2 are that way as well you'll see that Paul says, for you, and then he gives a negative. He says, for you notice that this didn't happen. Then he says, but we. Paul is going to show in verse 3 and 4 their motivation. He's going to show them in verse 3, this was not our motivation. And in verse 4 he'll say, this was our motive. Where does that kind of courage come from? The kind of courage that Paul and Silas are showing here. Where does that boldness come from? Look at verse 3. Here's where it doesn't come from. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Quick rundown of those words. Error means to lead astray, to wander. Uncleanness means impure motives. Deceit means craftiness, guile. And then the word exhortation. Paul means it's to call to one's side. So Paul says, look, it should be obvious to you when we came in with our backs bleeding, our motive the reason we called you to our side wasn't for these things. Paul says it should be obvious that our motives were not selfish, wrong, or impure because of the fact that we were so willing to say this when we weren't getting any benefit from it. In fact, we were getting beaten for it. Paul says if our motives were self-serving, then don't you think that beating in Philippi would have been enough to shut us up? See, (laughs) persecution has a way of revealing your motives. See, God wants us to be world changers. And if, let me digress for a second. We're talking about heroes, right? I had this picture in my head. It's like, you guys remember, I'm just really going to show uh, how old I am and what I, what I thought was important when I was a kid. You guys remember the Hall of Justice? Yeah? Okay. Right? The cartoon where these, these heroes get together and they, they pl- make their plans. That's sort of like what we're doing here. Right? This is the hall of justice. So, if we're looking for, how are you going to be a world changer? How are you going to be an effective hero? Then you could say, the one thing you don't want on your utility belt are these motivations. Are these motives. See, God wants it to be a world changer, but if the first thing you want to check on your utility belt is my motive. What what am I doing this for? See, there's a lot of possible wrong motives for sharing sharing the gospel for discipling, right? People share the gospel, serve the Lord for the praise of men, for financial gain, for impressing a girlfriend. Some people serve the Lord to try to put God in debt. Say, if I do this, then he's, he's got to treat me nice over here. He's going to give me this. See, the problem is that if your motives are wrong, As soon as the persecution comes, you're going to bail. As soon as the persecution comes, you're going to bail because your motive is wrong. And there's nothing worse than a superhero who bails. That's embarrassing. A coward in a superhero suit. It's not cool. There is one powerful, motivating factor that can get you sharing the gospel. can get you discipling folks. And it will stand up to persecution. You want to know what it is? Verse 4. This will make you a hero. Verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. The word approved there is documazzo. It means to recognize as genuine after examination, to approve, to deem worthy. The word entrusted there, this is interesting is pistil—it's the same word, same root word that we have for faith. This is saying we've been approved by God. We've been—God is trusting in us. Have you guys thought about that? We talk about having faith in God, but you guys know that if you're a Christian, God has some faith in you. He actually trusts you with something. See. Jesus if you know him he's chosen you he's picked you out he says I'm going to make you a fisher of men and what is he what's the commission he's given you he's sent you on a great mission every one of you if you know him Matthew 28 We call it the Great Commission because it includes everybody. It goes like this. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You guys get that? When Jesus gave that speech, don't you think he knew that it would be written down and read by us? You've been given a mission. You've been given a commission. And what does that mean? That means God actually trusts you with this mission. Look at verse 4 again. We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. He says, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. You guys understand? That's a great motivator. To think That God, the one who created you, trusts you with this message? Paul says, look, that's why we continue in the face of beatings. That's why we continue in the face of whippings and stonings. That's why we don't hedge our words, why we come in after all this and we say, you guys need Jesus. Paul says, because we are blown away that God would trust us with this message. And he says, and we don't want to let him down. God trusts us with this message, and we don't want to let him down. He says, not as pleasing men, but God, who tests our hearts. You guys know what the family memory verse is? your Bolton, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure, that's the gospel, in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Did you get it? If you're a Christian, Jesus has saved you. He wants to make you a fisher of men and he's given you this amazing vote of confidence. Here, take this message and go out with it. The one who saved you has now given you this great treasure and he's he's let you carry it around in a vessel of dirt. And he's saying, look you guys, you can do it. Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. He wouldn't be foolish enough to to trust you with this if you couldn't do it. that's my prayer for you and me, that we would treat the, the gospel like the treasure that it is, that we would be motivated not by if the pastor will think I'm good, if God will will do something for me after I get brownie points. None of that, but we'd be motivated by the amazing fact that he would not only save us, but then give us a job to do that he actually has some faith, our king has faith in us to deliver the message. Amazing. Paul's ministry was powerful because his motive was pure. It was out of love. It was out of awe. It was like, I can't believe that he would pick me to do this. This is a thought. It's not on my notes, so I'm hoping it's from the Lord. When he gives you that, that voice in your head at Publix, I should talk to that person. Could it be that he's saying, you can do this. He's reminding you of your commission. And that alone should be like, wow. The fact that he would think of me and give me this specific assignment hopefully will also give you courage to go through with it. All right. Paul's ministry was powerful because his motive was pure. Now we're going to look at his method. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they they had pure motives, but they also had a method. If we were writing a handbook for superheroes... This would be the tactics section. All right? What tactics are we going to use? What are we going to not use? Verse six, five and six, excuse me, are tactics not to use. Paul says, don't use these tactics. Although these methods of recruit might be tempting, avoid the following, verse five. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. See, first thing he says is, when we came to you, Thessalonians, we didn't use flattering words. Paul warns Timothy, one of the other guys here, when he writes to him later in an epistle, he says... He warns him to beware of false teachers. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, These guys will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. I was thinking, a message that's devoid of power is the one that has to resort to these things. Flattery, covetousness, the glory of men. Paul says, beware of flattering words. Found a little Aesop's fable. You guys remember those? A crow, having stolen a bit of meat, perched in a tree and held it in her beak. A fox, seeing this, longed to possess the meat himself. How handsome is the crow, he exclaimed, in the beauty of her shape and in the fairness of her complexion. Oh, if her voice were only equal to her beauty, she would deservedly be considered the queen of the birds. The crow then set up a loud call and dropped the flesh. The fox quickly picked it up and thus addressed the crow. My good crow, your voice is right enough, but your wit is wanting. You get it? He said, the the fox says to the crow, hey, that's pretty good, man. You, You look so great. If you just, you know, if you could sing, that would really be impressive. Crow falls for it and loses it, right? Flattery, that's how flattery works, is to basically to butter someone up and then use them for your purposes. Paul says, don't do that. Don't use flattery In any way, but especially not with the gospel. Beware of flattery, by the way, from both the receiving side and the giving side. I was thinking about this. I'm sure the dinner roll is very pleased when he's first buttered up. Wow, I'm being buttered up. He doesn't realize he's about ready to be consumed. Beware when someone uses flattery on you, but also we should, as ministers of the gospel, determine not to use flattery on others see a true hero of the faith you never use that tool you don't pack that flattery it means that you don't have the power of the gospel that you would need to resort to a trick like that next he says neither did we use a cloak of covetousness you can see this one happening all the time on TV not every single one but a lot of televangelists will use the cloak of covetousness the idea that Christianity is going to make you rich, right? Join our ministry, give to our show, and God will bless you financially. Not in every case, but in a lot of cases, that's a cloak, you guys. It's a cloak of covenants. It looks like they're being holy, but they're saying they're they're working you. Paul says, don't fall for that and don't use that in your tool of tricks. Don't use it to change the world because it won't work. People see through that. You guys see through that. When you turn on the TV, it's like, cloak of covetousness, right? Verse 5 again. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory for men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul says, look, we're apostles. We could have pulled the apostle card, but we didn't. He says, we weren't seeking glory from men. That's another tactic, another method to avoid. Trying to change your world by getting others to say or to think, Oh, you're so talented. Aren't you so good? You're, you're so dedicated. You really know your Bible. You give so much. You're so generous. You're so hospitable. All those things, don't get me wrong, it's, all those things are good. Jesus actually said, let your light so shine before men, right? It's not wrong to do those things. But he said, let your light shine before men so that they would see your good works and glorify you. No, your father who is in heaven. See, if you're using your good works, right, as a, well, you know, I'm bringing them to Jesus so they can kind of love on me a little bit first. He says, don't do that. He says, we didn't seek glory from men. He says, we're apostles. We could have pulled that card, but we didn't. See, if you're, it comes back to motive, doesn't it? If you're building your flock... By building yourself up in their eyes... What's going to happen... When Superman is on the side of the road... Drunk? I mean, what's going to happen when you let your flock down? And we all are going to let people down. If you point them mainly to you... That's a bad setup for a bad fall. If you point them to Jesus... When you do something that you wish you hadn't done, little or big, they can go, you know what? He's not Jesus. He led me to Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. So, the methods to avoid. Here's the method Paul and his troop used to change the world. His ministry was powerful because his motive was pure. And because their method wasn't these things, but it was, ready, parental. The rest of the portion we're going to be looking at today shows that Paul's and Silas's motives, or excuse me, their method, was parental. Look at verses 7 and 8. You'll see that it's about a mother. It's about a mother's gentleness and sacrifice. In verse 9, you'll see it's kind of a transition. It could apply to both mothers and fathers. They work hard. And then in verses um, 10 and 11, you'll see it's about fathers. How do you change the world? What's your method? By acting like a grown-up. By acting like a parent. You guys want to change your world? The first method you'll want to use, you'll want to employ, as odd as it sounds for a superhero, is the gentleness of a mother. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children so affectionately longing for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. He says the reason that we I I should remind you of this one of the reasons that Paul probably wrote this letter was because he'd stayed there three weeks and they had to leave in the middle of the night. No doubt some detractors later on were saying Paul doesn't care about you that much. He left in the middle of the night. But if you go back and read the story, you realize that Paul left in the middle of the night for the safety of these guys. Jason was already dragged out of his house. Paul's like, okay, we're leaving. We're not going to create more trouble for the church. And he did the right thing because now a year later, the church is booming because they got it. But Paul doesn't want them to think that he... He doesn't want them to be persuaded to think that he didn't care about them. So he says, look... This was one of the methods of change that we use. We were gentle among you, he says, just as a nursing mother. The word nursing mother there is actually a wet nurse. That means a servant who would nurse a child if the mom couldn't, right? Like a surrogate mom kind of thing. This is interesting. A wet nurse was known for her gentleness already. I mean, she was gentle with all all kids, but it says here, just as a nursing mother, a wet nurse cherishes her own. Children. So, if you can imagine how gentle this person would be, this nursing servant would be with her her master's kids. He says, "Imagine how gentle we were. This is how gentle we were with you. It was like you are our own kids." You guys, that's the the ultimate in gentleness. See, a woman that was known for gentleness with other babies, in that quiet time alone with her own precious little one. And the illustration continues, verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Interesting picture. What is the act of a nursing mom other than imparting life? The transfer of one life to another. guys, that's what we're called to do with our flocks. Each one of you has a flock. You're called to impart life to them. I I said this last week, I think. We're to give them the gospel not only on our lips, but in our lives. Have you guys got someone, each one, hopefully someone comes to mind, or several, that God is making dear to you? I mean, besides your family? He's already made them family. He's already made them dear, right, but... You got someone that like Paul's talking about here God made you dear to me he says so much so that we were imparting not just words but our life you got someone you're beginning to share the gospel with and your own life maybe maybe you guys know someone who's young in the faith who needs understanding maybe those people need to see it lived in you you guys could be that person's that young one, that babe in Christ, you could be their hero. And you know what I mean. Not that you want the attention, but someone who comes and, and helps them along and directs them to the ultimate hero. Now I've had I've had two two children so far. I haven't had them. I helped. I've had two two boys, Noah and Isaac, and one was bottle fed and one was breastfed. Now all the guys in the room can say that you vote for the breastfeeding Because of the midnight cries, right? All the guys are like, yeah, that's pretty cool. That when the cry comes, dad says, well, can't help. Sorry. He gets to roll over, right? And the woman has to toil in the night to bring this little one to strength. Look at verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you you the gospel of God. See, verse 9 is a transition verse. No doubt, we've already proven it. Moms work day and night. They labor day and night to develop their flock. But also, a father, if he's a good one, will work day and night. Night and day to raise his kids, his flock, to provide for them. Paul says to the Thessalonians, Look guys, You know we loved you. You can see it in the way we worked. Both night and day. He says, we didn't want to be a burden to you. We didn't want to come in and and break your bank. So Paul says, so I worked. He says, "I, I put up tents in the daytime. I studied at night. And in the evening, when you guys were ready to hear the word, I shared it with you. You guys want to change your world? It's going to take some work. It's going to take hard work and dedication, but it's a labor of love. Does that sound familiar? A couple weeks ago. Look at this. This is just a side note. Interesting to me, maybe to you. Verse 7 and 8 talks about the gentleness of a mother, this beginning babe stage. What does that sound to you, to you and to me other than I think it's in verse 3 of chapter 1. He says you guys are known for your work of faith. That nursing mother image, isn't that a work of faith? A brand new baby work? Then look at verse 9. He says, you guys, we we worked hard. Back in verse 3, it says, your work of faith and your labor of love. That's exactly what we're talking about. Working hard, but because of love, it's not so bad. And now, verses 10 and 11, we're going to see a father's look to the future. A father's patience and hope. Verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. See, these guys were righteous, right? They were good role models, they were good heroes. He says, We lived correctly before you, verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children. See, you guys see, see what's going on here? Paul's method wasn't manipulation. It wasn't working people for their money. His method of changing the world was parental. It was through gentleness, through gentle sacrificing like a mother. And here, and it was through hard work, and here it's through like the motivational work of a father. Because the words there, exhorted, you see that? As you know how we exhorted. The word is parakaleo. It's the same word we get, the Holy Spirit. It means to come alongside, to encourage, to strengthen. Fathers. You guys know what that's like, right? Just the last two days I've been encouraging Isaac to ride his trike. Right? It's like his feet just barely touch. If he doesn't wear his shoes, he he can't do it. He has to wear his shoes so so that he can ride. But he gets it, and I'm like, yeah, you go. Encouraging. Exhorting. The next word he says, and comfort it. That means, interesting, to encourage, but it means more like to console, to comfort, when, like when they fall, when they don't do it right. The father's the one who should say, both, both the father and mother can, but the father's the one that you would hope would say, look, get up, you can do this, you can do it. And he says how he exhorted, comforted, and charged. And that's the most virile word of all. It means to implore, to encourage. It means to expect great things of. It's like Bobby Bowden at halftime or, you know, that other team. It's like giving a pep talk to your crew. Paul says, You know, that's what we were like. We were gentle, yes. We were patient. We were sacrificing. We worked hard, but we also expected you to work hard. He says, We were exhorting you, we were comforting you when you fell, but we were also charging you, expecting great things from you. To have high standards and to trust that the Heavenly Father knows what He's doing. So, you guys see, that's how you change your world. Is to be, to first be willing to speak the gospel, right? We saw that earlier in in the the chapter. Paul's willing to speak the gospel even if it's going to get him killed. But then also be willing to live the gospel. And one of the best ways you can live the gospel is as a parent. So what's the, what's the goal of a world changer? Like, that's the problem. You say world changer and everybody's like, well, I'm checking out because there ain't no way I'm going to be able to change the whole world. What's the goal of a world changer? It's just to replicate. To make somebody else a world changer. To bring into existence another world changer. See, Paul is speaking to these Thessalonians. They're already famous for their their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience and hope. He's speaking to this, what did we call it? The uh, superhero convention? He's speaking to these guys. He's encouraging them. What's his goal? What's their goal when they meet people? Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You get it? That's the whole. That's why I'm talking to you guys, is that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. He's given you a job. My hope, my prayer, is that all of us will rise up to that challenge amazed that He would even think that we could do it. See, God has already called you. You know that, right? I won't make you raise your hand, but if you're a Christian, I would make you raise your hand. I would say, if you're a Christian, raise your hand. And everybody whose hand was raised. God has already called you. Matthew 28. He's given you this commission. He's brought you from death to life. My desire for this church, like Paul's was, for the Thessalonians. Is that we would walk worthy of this great call. And that your motivation would not be any other thing. But I can't believe he's given this great treasure. And he's willing for me to carry it around in a dirt sack. A dirt package. Okay. Okay. Can I give you your benediction? Superheroes. Soon you will leave this hallowed hall. It's an exercise room, right? But, interesting, you come in here and you sit. When you leave, that's when you have a chance to exercise. Exercise your faith. Exercise the powers that God wants to give to you, that he wants to work through you. Look at it this way. You'll either be affected by your world this week or you'll be effective in your world. You'll either be shaken by the world you live in. You guys heard about the August 22nd thing that may happen? We don't really know, but there's. whenever you talk for too long about terrorism, you hear about August 22nd, which is Tuesday. Who knows? You'll either be shaken by your world or you will be a world shaker this week. You guys get it? God has placed his trust in us. All he wants you to do is to keep your eyes on him, keep your motives right, keep your method right. Don't resort to trickery or flattery or anything. Keep your eyes upon him, and he will make you, he wants to make you a world shaker.